0: You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. It's time to talk about the Green Bay Packers. This is your Packers Update, the daily cheese brought to you by Packernet.com. The Daily Cheese is a collaboration with the PackerNet Podcast, produced by the Pack Daddy, Ryan Schlipp, and I'm your host, J.J. Leahy. You can follow me on Twitter, at J.J. Leahy, to stay up to date on all things Packers, submit questions, and tune in to breaking news. And believe me, there's a lot of Packers news this week. We'll start off with the two big stories. Corey Lindsley has been signed by the Los Angeles Chargers. This is the second year in a row that the Chargers have signed a Packers offensive lineman. Lindsay will be reunited with right tackle Brian Balaga. He's now the highest-paid center in the league after signing a five-year, $62.5 million deal. According to Nick Cordy, the Packers will get no less than a fourth-round compensatory pick, but are unlikely to receive a third-round compensatory pick for Lindsley. Jamal Williams also bid his farewell to the Packers and fans, saying he's very happy for Aaron Jones, but he's sad that they won't be able to play together anymore. Williams wrote on Instagram, Thank you, Green Bay, for accepting me and letting me grow into the man I am today and still thriving to be. I have nothing but respect and love for everyone who works in the Packers facility, from players, coaches, all the employees that work in Lambeau, and the fans. I'm going to miss it all, cherish all my memories, and keep striving for greatness. I'm looking forward to what's ahead and excited to grind for what I want, but nothing for love for Green Bay. It's been real. He also went live on NFL Network to discuss his plans for the future.
1: True. I just want a team that, you know, everybody's professional minded. Everybody know what we got to do to win a Super Bowl, go get a ring and just be professional about it and have fun, do it together and know that this is really a whole team effort. And, you know, when having me on the team, I'm all about the team and I let my teammates know, you know, we got to have each other's back when we go a war. Part of a tandem situation
0: uh, in Green Bay as you and Aaron were drafted uh, together in 2017, you still put up nearly 3,000 total yards from scrimmage and 18 touchdowns. Is a tandem role, a duo role, as a backfield share situation still
1: appealing to you? Uh, I feel like it's just part of the game and how we play in football now. you got to have more than one back. But at the same time, I know what I can do. I know my abilities. I know I'm a a three-down back, and I know I can do – Everything that, you know, a starting running back is doing now. So, you know, you give me the opportunity, I can show you where I'm about. That's what I am. I'm just a workhorse. I just like to grind and do what I need to do for my team. But at the same time, I got my expectations for myself because I know what type of player I am.
0: Although the Packers have not signed anyone in free agency yet, Rob Domofsky reports that based on early returns, the Packers have been active in the cornerback and defensive line market with mid-level free agents, saying they've inquired about multiple players at those spots. In addition, according to Bengals wide receiver A.J. Green's agent, the Packers have been in touch. It's unclear how far those talks have gone, but there has been at least some interest. Although A.J. Green has publicly many times stated that he wants to finish his career in Cincinnati. Meanwhile, the Packers have been working through their restricted free agent tenders. Specifically, tackle Yash Nijman, wide receiver Malik Taylor, and outside linebacker Randy Ramsey have all received qualifying offers. Tom Silverstein believes that Alan Lazard received his as well, but that is not public. Bill Huber reported that Shannon Sullivan has not heard anything from the Packers yet. Running back Adrian Peterson appears to not be returning to Detroit, saying that he is on the phone with a couple of different teams to see where he's going to continue his career. The Vikings have restructured linebacker Anthony Barr's contract to save some money. It does include a pay cut for Barr to remain in Minnesota. However, D.N. Daniil Hunter is reportedly very unhappy with his contract situation and is exploring the idea of requesting a trade if he can't get more money from the Vikings. Meanwhile, versatile offensive lineman Brett Jones of Minnesota from four teams. One of those is the Packers. I'm not a betting man, but I think it's safe to say that if you tune in to the Packernet podcast tomorrow morning, you'll hear Ryan Schlipp talk about Brett Jones in detail. Safety Raven Green has not been offered a restricted free agent tender. He's now an unrestricted free agent. The Packers do like him a lot, but he has missed so much time over the last few years that they have been severely hurt by trying to rely on Green. As the so called star or nickelback, the combination safety linebacker was a very important part of Mike Pettin's defense, and their run game in particular suffered every time he was out, not to mention their tight end defense. According to Bet Online AG, the Packers are heavy favorites to land wide receiver Corey Davis. I will tell you, I think it's unlikely, but hey, that's where Vegas is putting their money. The Packers are 15-4 to 4 odds. Lastly, I don't think I reported this last week, but the Packers have moved on from defensive lineman Billy Wynn. He played extremely well for the Packers this year. That was a great midseason pickup by Brian Gutekunst. However, he is looking for a new team now. Your daily update on the Packers' salary cap status, which, by the way, the deadline to get all the way back up to zero is tomorrow night— According to Ken Ingles on Twitter, the Packers are currently at minus $4.35 million. They will free up at least that much tomorrow. How? I don't know, but the Packers are not going to let the deadline come and void a contract like David Bakhtiari. Cutting Dean Lowry would make quite a bit of sense. You could free up a little over $3 million that way. A simple restructure of Kenny Clark could save a little over a half a million. A simple restructure of Mason Crosby could save a little over $1 million. Those three moves would get us to right about the minimum that we know they need to clear. Assuming Aaron Jones has the lowest possible minimum 2021 cap hit. Also, Billy Turner's restructure is still not made public. A Zadarius Smith or Aaron Rodgers extension could also be coming tomorrow. Or you could do a simple restructure of Aaron Rodgers roster bonus to save four and a half million dollars. Any of the restructures I mentioned would give the Packers flexibility to work out an extension with one of their top paid players without having their backs pressed up against a deadline. And now to wrap up, I brought back Coach Hahn to talk about what it's going to look like to have Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon running the offense. I'm here with McFarland High School's JV head coach, Brian Hahn, longtime friend of the show. Coach Hahn, welcome back.
2: Man, it feels good to be back. We got some football at the high school level. JJ, you guys are all in on some free agency stuff. Like, this is a great time. It's
0: a fun week. NFL football is finally fun again. The last month, uh, at least, has been just brutal, as there's been nothing to talk about. (laughs) But now, the uh, free agency legal tampering period has started. We're getting some big moves. And the Packers have signed Aaron Jones to a four-year extension. And uh, so we're we are surprisingly going to be bringing Jones back and pairing him with A.J. Dillon. I want to talk about that with you today and get your take on what we can do with these two guys and what the difference is there.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, A lot of stuff you can do. Uh, Bringing these two guys very complimentary runners to each other. Jones. Obviously very athletic, shows a bit of a tendency to want to stay away from the inside A gap, B gap where the big angry dudes are. Kind of bounce that sucker B gap, C gap, um, to a fault at times. But he's shown that he can run pretty decently uh in some gap scheme stuff. You know, he he doesn't love to talk it inside, and that's where gap hits. You know, I mean, for the most part, unless you're running buck sweep or something like that. Um those things are going to tuck A-gap, B-gap, and, and Jones has a tendency to push out wide and cut it back, you know. But um, Dylan is the exact opposite way. He will run right through the throat of an inside backer, um, has no qualms with that. This is your prototypical built-for-smash-mouth-gap football uh, running back. And, he. I mean, it's doesn't always look as fluid in the throw game as Aaron Jones, but um, both of them definitely have – pros and cons they're kind of like ying and yang back there the tough thing is I kind of felt like Jamal was both of those dudes definitely mm-hmm. not to the tier of zone running back that um Jones was definitely not to the the tier of gap running back that Dylan will probably be but boy I thought he was a nice blend um so I don't know it, it um you you're gonna have to get both these dudes to pass protect though what I've seen anyways they don't have it like Williams did
0: talk to me about what would be the differentiator here with you know Jones being described as a tailback and specifically as a scat back a lot of the time number one is that accurate and number two what does that mean
2: yeah yeah I think it's accurate what a scat back is is one of those guys you call it a scat back because in the old days of scat protection um which a lot of teams still most certainly run but scat protection is still kind of a A roll protection or like a half roll semi sprint protection where the running back leads the edge. So he's going to go up against an outside linebacker or something like that. He's not expected to, uh, so he'll be play side. And then if he doesn't have any work, he just leaks out into the flat on a flood concept or something, let's say. So um, that's where scat back comes from. They're a little bit, you know, typically a little bit smaller, freaky athletes, but. They're not the dude that you're gonna put one on one with a Mike Backer and expect him to run through, you know. Um, right. So that's what a scat back is. And to me, you know, understand it's five foot seven, hundred and seventy three pound Brian Hahn calling these dudes, you know, a little bit small and and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like it's not like he's a twig. It's not like you have to worry about him getting hurt if he's one on one with a safety filling the alley or anything like that. But the strength of Jones is that. He has pretty good vision. He can get to the outside and he's going to go be special. I think he's a pretty good receiving back. I think there's a lot of value for putting him, you know, in a five wide setup while using 10 or 11 personnel. Um, So there's value to him. And that's what a scat back traditionally is. Um, That is not AJ Dillon. (laughs) Um, But AJ Dillon is a fierce, fierce between the tackles runner and, it's it's a nice compliment to have, honestly, in a team, you know, if you're going to have those two. If you think back to the days of, you know, thunder and lightning of the old uh, Giants days or or even the old uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers days, um, you know, when they had a, that, that strong two-headed attack. The tough thing with that is if you're going to stay, you know, 10 or 11 personnel and not go 20, 21, something like that, the defense kind of has an idea. You know, you can kind of tip your hand to a D coordinator and be like, yeah, we're probably not running a gap power if Aaron Jones is in, you know, so we can take that off the table and then they can start to set up their defensive calls to where, yeah, maybe a gap power would hurt them, but they're a lot more edge protected.
0: Now, what are some things that you could do putting
2: both of them on the field at the same time? Oh, 20 personnel could be nasty with these dudes. Um, one of the, or 21, I guess one of the biggest downsides to that is putting those two on takes one of your other playmakers off, you know, uh, you take Tunyon off or you take, you know, MVS or something like that. One of those dudes has to come off the field. Um, so that is like the one, one of the big drawbacks on that. Um, another one is if you're going to keep them both in, um, you know, if you're going to run some max protect or something like that, then you only have a three-man route going out. So it's, uh, um, you're kind of playing into the defense's hands unless you're in a known blitz situation third and super long, something like that. But um, there's definitely advantages to having them both in.
0: Is it fair to say that one of the biggest differences between Dylan and Jones' play style is that Jones needs to uh, use his speed to get around guys and Dylan can just go through guys?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're perfect complementary backs. You know, one does freaky athletic things, moves very well in space, catches very well, just awesome. The other is, if you want to, you can kind of think of A.J. Dillon as a faster fullback, you know, um, you're probably not going to see a lot of that, you know, old I formation, 21 personnel type of stuff, but you can think of it that way. You can think of it in the old Warwick Dunn, Mike Allstott type of setups, you know, Um, it's not quite to that level. You know, Aaron Jones has shown a tendency to run inside the tackles just fine especially when they went like mid-season last year, they kind of stopped running so much wide zone, started going more inside zone. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, he can do it. Um, A.J. Dillon's fast enough to get to the edge. It's just not their forte. Uh,
0: What do you think we can learn from the decision to bring Aaron Jones back about what Lafleur is intending to do with his offense this year, especially because last year we just hardly ever saw Dillon. So we can't look so much to last year to tell us about the future.
2: Yeah, my guess is you're going to see this West Coast offense style a lot more. Um, West Coast is kind of <laughs> kind of coming back because as, as football is so cyclical, you know, as you start to see some of these three high safety sets where they're just not going to give up the deep, deep throw, they're going to make you dink and dunk it underneath. Um, defenses do like doing that. The, the way to put them in conflict is get the ball out quick to a special kid. Um, they're going to do a, a nice job, I think, Green Bay is of getting that ball out quick and really limiting hits on Rodgers, especially as his age continues to go up. And I think we've seen kind of a dedica- I think more than anything, this shows that there's going to be a dedication by Green Bay to that underneath attack zone coverages. And then if you go cover two, you know, and, and you try to take that away, or you go with a pattern match cover two, where you take that underneath away, um, then you got the best receiver in the game against the <laughs> safety. Like it's not fair.
0: All right, Brian, thank you so much for joining the show today. Really appreciate your insight, as always. Everybody go follow Coach Hahn on Twitter, at Coach Hahn. Uh, Dude is a wealth of knowledge and uh, super chill, super fun to talk to as well. Coach, thank you so much for being on here again today. Looking forward to having you on again
2: soon. As always, buddy, the pleasure is all mine. It's always good to talk some ball.
0: Alrighty, that does it for today. For more in-depth analysis and a look at Packers strategy, make sure you're subscribed to the Packernet Podcast, hosted by the Pack Daddy, Ryan Schlipp. Keep up on all the Green Bay Packers news by going to Packernet.com and join the Packernet Podcast Facebook group. My name is J.J. Leahy, and this has been The Daily Cheese, your Green Bay Packers news update.